0: Thanks for listening to the Bellevue Christian Church Podcast. We're a church in Bellevue, Pennsylvania, where ordinary people are learning to live everyday life like Jesus. We believe that one way to learn that life is by engaging with an ancient but active collection of books called the Bible every single week. Hey, good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Austin Goen. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm so glad you guys could join us this morning. And this morning, as Justin just said, we're going to be finishing up our series, Your Best, next step. And what this series has been all about is the best four steps you can take in the life of our church to grow toward the life you're made for, everyday life like Jesus, all of which you can take this fall, some of which you can take all year round, um, and some of which we offer multiple different times a year, Um, but all of which come out of Matthew chapter 28. This is what Matthew chapter 28 says, Uh, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And in that, we believe that there are four next steps that you can take in the life of our church. One is to find out more about Jesus. And that aligns with that word baptizing. That's really that one of the first things you do as a Christian. But even before that, you need a space to find out more. And so we're starting tomorrow something called the Alpha Course. And we actually have a full cohort for that. We have 27 people signed up. Uh, some of you, uh, many of you, some of your friends, it's going to be a really fun time. Um, so that's launching tomorrow. Another thing is to pursue the presence of Jesus. That comes out of that last phrase, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Um, and one of the main ways you do that is what you're doing right now. You join us on a Sunday morning. But another way to do that individually is the course that we're going to be offering starting October 16th after church called the Everyday Habits Course. We're going to be promoting that more in the, couple, in the next couple of weeks. Some of you have already signed up, but we're going to be doing a pilot version of that course. We'd love for some early adopters to try it with us. Last week, we introduced another step, which is to learn to live like Jesus. And that aligns with a big part of the middle where it says we need to be learning or we taught to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. And one of the main ways we do that is by having something called everyday groups. Everybody say every, everyday groups. And what everyday groups are is an opportunity to go deeper into what we're talking about on Sunday. We believe learning happens best when there's a space both to learn and then a space to discuss and to apply. And so that's why we organize ourselves the way we do. And today we're going to talk about the last piece of the puzzle, which is uh, lines right with the beginning of that, where it says, go therefore and make disciples. And we're going to talk about what does it look like to join the mission of Jesus right here in Bellevue. And at the end, I'm going to give you my best... Three pieces of advice for finding the right team, the right fit for you in the life of our church. But if you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 6, verses 13 through 16. Um, but we're going to be in a lot of different verses. If you're struggling to find it, it's going to be on page 914 in the Bible that's in the pew. But Luke chapter 6, verses 13 through 16 is where we're going to start. But we're going to be going through a lot of different verses uh, and passages all over uh, the Bible this morning. But I just want to get us land us right there. And I want to start with just this one idea is that Jesus has entrusted his mission to a team from day one. Jesus has entrusted his mission to a team from day one. From the moment that Jesus announced that here's what I've come to do, I'm coming to preach the kingdom of God, to demonstrate it, to bring it into effect, to inaugurate it, to show you what it's all about. From day one of that mission, Jesus has been inviting and recruiting people to join him in that. If there was anybody who could have done something without a team, it was Jesus. But from day one, Jesus invited a team to be a part of what he was doing, and he entrusted his mission to that team. I had you open up to Luke chapter six. This is where we find out some of the names that made up his core team. Listen to this. It says, when daylight came, he summoned his disciples, or so these are his students. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago. So he's summoning his students. He chose twelve of them, whom he also named apostles. In other words, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to commission you. I'm going to put you on a mission. That's what apostle is all about. And these are the names: Simon, whom he also called Peter; Andrew, his brother; James and John; Philip and Bartholomew; Matthew and Thomas; James, son of Alphaeus; and Simon called the Zealot; Judas, son of James; and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And we see, though, from right from the beginning, Jesus is recruiting a team to join his mission. That he's going to send out and say, I'm to send you to do the same kinds of things that I am doing. And you look at that list, you're like, that seems like it's all guys. It's a good thing in Luke chapter 8, he gives us more names. And in Luke chapter 8, here's what it says. It says, afterward, he was traveling from one town to village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. That's his mission. And then making disciples in those places. It says the 12 were with him and also some women. Everybody say some women. Some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. These women, too, joined into the mission of God. So you have men and women joining into the mission. From day one, Jesus is beginning to recruit people to be a part of what he's doing in the world. You see this pattern continued. You read through the rest of the New Testament. What you're reading about is teams of people who are on Jesus' mission. Take Paul, for example. You read about the Apostle Paul. Often we think of this maverick, lone ranger, church planter going all over the Greco-Roman world. But what we see is even from day one in Paul, you go to Acts chapter 13, day one of Paul's ministry, he's going out with a team. You keep following Paul, you see names like Barnabas and John Mark and Silas and Timothy and all these others who are on his team. Read Romans chapter 16. He has this huge list of men and women, Greeks and Jews, different ethnicities and races who are on his team in the mission of God that he is on all over the Greco-Roman world. This is the pattern from day one, is that the way the mission of Jesus is accomplished in the world is not through one person, but rather through a team. And what it means to be a team at its core is that you are working toward a common mission, toward a common goal. There's difference between groups and teams. Groups are groups of people that might come together around, they might be fans of a certain thing, they might like the same thing, they might be just coming together for one day, but then you have a team. And a team comes around a mission, they have a target, an aim, there's something that they're trying to accomplish, something that they're trying to do. Think about a firefighting team. They come together. What are they trying to do? They're trying to put out the fire and then prevent fires from my backyard as well, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, and uh, there's, you think of a, a sports team or an athletic team, a basketball team. What are they trying to do? They're trying to come together to score more, more points than the other team. I think that's how basketball works. And so you have these aims, these targets, this mission, and a team forms around that mission. How many of you know that the church is the same way? Jesus did not just come to establish a church. He came to start a mission and a church gathered around that mission. The church is what you get when a bunch of people say, look, see the mission of Jesus and say, I want to be a part of what he's doing in the world. That's the church. So often what happens, and one of the reasons churches die, is they lose track of the mission. They think that they're just coming together as an interesting group that's fans of Jesus. That's not what we're here for. We're here because Jesus has recruited us to his mission and a team forms around the mission. Alan Hirsch, in his book, uh, it's called The Forgotten Ways, he talks all about this, how often we get this backwards. It's not just church and then we have a mission. The mission of God has a church, and that's us. It's a team. The question is, why did Jesus form a team, though? If there's anybody who would have avoided team projects at all costs, it's Jesus. Some of you are like, I hate team projects. I was always the person who had to do all this stuff. You, you, you think you feel bad for yourself. Imagine Jesus, right? Jesus is, is God in the flesh. If there's anybody who could do this project himself, it was Jesus, and he's taking this ragtag group of people who are arguing about bread all the time, who can't figure out what he's talking about, constantly asking questions about what does he mean by this, what does he mean by that. They're arguing with each other about being the greatest, and he's like, what was I thinking? I could have done this myself, but why does he choose a team? Why does he choose a team? Here's what I believe. I think teams at their best accelerate the mission. Teams at their best accelerate the mission. They kick up the pace of how the mission gets accomplished. In fact, if you look throughout history, you'll find that every great mission was accomplished by a great team. Let me give you some that, uh, some of these, for example. Uh, think about the Chicago Bulls in the 1990s. Uh, You're like, this is where we're starting. You know, trust me, we're going to get better. There's going to be a better mission too. Um, You know, if you've ever watched the Last Dance documentary, which is pretty amazing about the Chicago Bulls in the 90s, they won six championships over two three-peats in 91 through 93 and 96 through 98. And often we associate one name with that, we associate Michael Jordan with that. But none of that would have been possible, despite maybe what he believes. None of that would have been possible without a whole team of people around him, some of the names you can see right there, Rodman, Pittman, all these other people, who came around him to accomplish those championships and those victories. Every great mission. Is a greater team behind that mission. Um, Think about a legendary film. I'll just give you an example. The Return of the King is one that I think is a legendary film in our time. And this is Peter Jackson behind the scenes directing the project. And you think, when we think of this film, we often think of the director. We think of the person who got it done. And we turn off the movie at the end before the credits roll. But what are the credits? The credits are the team, the team of people that made this film happen. The reason that this film won all these Academy Awards, won all these Oscars, got all this stuff, all this recognition, was because not just because of a great director, because of a team. A team that came together from the people who catered food so that orcs had something to eat, uh, to the, the people who ha- were the director's assistant, to the people that funded it. All these people came together to produce a great film. Or take the, something of more importance than films or sports. Take the Civil Rights Movement in the 1960s. Often we associate the, uh, the name Martin Luther King Jr. with that. But what we often forget is there's a whole team of people, ordinary men and women from around the country, some of whom from around the world who got involved in what he was doing. Some names we know, names like Rosa Parks and John Lewis, but then there's other names that we'll never know, people who came around the cause and said, we want to be a part of this mission. And the reason that mission made steps forward because people came around it. The same reality is true of the greatest mission in history. We're going to know some names, we're not going to know others, but when you think about the Great Commission, if Jesus had not chose to leverage a team, his mission would have been limited to the people he reached in the three years before he died, which would not include you and me. His team accelerated the mission and expanded it beyond what he could just do. Now the reality is, Jesus didn't have to leverage a team. He could have found a way. This is the son of God we're talking about. He could have found a way to make this happen. But that doesn't matter. That All that matters is he didn't do it. Here's what George Eldon Ladd says, and one of my favorite quotes that always gets me. It's going to take two screens to get across it, but I love it because it just fires me up for the mission of God. Here's what he wrote. He said, God has entrusted to people like us, redeemed sinners, the responsibility of carrying out the divine purpose in history. Why has God done it this way? Is he not taking great risk that his purpose will fail of accomplishment? He said it is now 1,900 years, 2,000 at this point, and the goal is not yet achieved. Why did God not do it himself? Why did he not send a host of angels whom he could trust to complete the task at once? Why has he committed it to us? We do not try to answer that question except to say that it's God's will, and here are the facts. Listen to this. God has entrusted to us this mission, and unless we do it, it will not get done. That's what God has given us. Jesus has invited you to be a part of the team of the greatest team in history that's accomplishing the most important mission to make disciples of all nations. Rather than trying to accomplish it on his own, rather than saying, I don't want to do a team project with these people, rather what he did is said, come be a part of this. And from day one, he's recruiting ordinary people like us to be part of his team. But how does this work out in real life? What we see is that Jesus actually created a team of teams. Everybody say team of teams. What we see is Jesus divided his team into a team of teams. It wasn't just one team, but rather it was a team made up of lots of little teams. We're still one team on our best day, um, but we're made up of lots of smaller teams that all help move the mission forward together. And there's two levels to this that I want to talk about. There's a macro level, which is big worldwide global scale, and then there's a micro level. We're going to talk about what an individual church looks like. Let's talk about the macro level. First of all, the macro level, we see a team of teams this way. There are lots of different churches. How many of you know that Bellevue Christian Church is not the only church in the world? Everybody? You guys know? It might. I want you to think it is, but there's a lot of churches out there. There's great churches in Bellevue. I don't know if you've heard of some of the great churches. There are great churches in Bellevue and the north side. There are great churches in London. There are great churches in San Francisco. There are great churches all over the world because Jesus has all these teams that he's put in all these different cities to do the work of making disciples. On our best day, we're a team of teams. On our worst day, we're working against each other. On our best day, though, we're meant to be a team of teams. And we see Jesus hinting at this in the Gospel of Luke. Um, As his team is beginning to grow, it grows from 12 to 72. What does he do? He doesn't say, okay, all 72 of us are going to go to every village, okay? We're all going to go to every tiny, we're going to overwhelm, like most of these villages are like population seven. You know, we're not going to go all 72 of us. What does he do? He divides them up and he sends them out. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 10. So he's building this team and then he divides them up. He says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. And he sent them ahead in pairs, everyone say pairs, Pairs. to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So he takes these 72 people, he divides them into 36 teams, and he sends them out to go make disciples in these smaller different places ahead of him. What is Jesus doing? He's dividing up and he's sending people out into smaller, and now he has a team of teams. A team of teams, and he's able to accelerate and expand exponentially the mission that he's on. He has a team of teams. You see this with Paul continuing this. He plants these churches in these different cities. In other words, he's planting teams in different cities throughout the Roman Empire. He plants the team in Rome. He plants the team in Ephesus. He plants the team in Corinth. He plants the team in Laodicea. He plants a team in all these different places. We call them churches, but what are they? They're teams that he puts there to make disciples in those particular places. We know that that's true around the world today. Again, there are teams that God has placed in different cities, including right here in Bellevue, a team that's been here for 125 years making disciples. That's the macro level. Let's talk about the micro level. What does a team of team look like now in an individual church? Even within our church, we have different teams that are all contributing to the mission. Different teams that are all contributing to the mission. And so you have different churches in different places, but even within the church, you have a team of teams. Lots of littler teams that are contributing to the mission of Jesus. The way Paul often talks about it is using the illustration of a body. Here's how he explains it in one place among many. Romans chapter 12, 4 through 5 says this, Now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. He's saying within the church there's individual members, and then you can even think of even individual teams that have different functions lots of different functions. Lately, my bedtime reading has been a book called The Body, A Guide for Occupants by Bill Bryson. Just trying to learn, understand how my body works. Uh, you know, I'm still working on it. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a deep dive. It's a deep dive on how the body works, really enjoying it. And it has, and really he just explores all these incredible systems that make up your body, the things that you need just to walk out the door in the morning. And so all these different systems from the digestive system, the nervous system, uh, the muscular system, all these systems that are working together in tandem so that you can get things done during the day. And Paul understood this and he applied this to the church, and he says, in the church, there are all these different systems that make the body function properly, that makes us do what we're able to do, that enables us to serve the purpose of Christ's body, which is what? To make disciples. And he says, all of these systems are necessary. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 17 through 19. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? He's saying each part of the body, each team is necessary to the fulfillment of the mission. Unless you have all these things going on, all these things that are serving different functions, we will not be able to fulfill our mission. And what I want to say, and this is what I'm trying to advocate for, is that every team in the church might be called something different. You might have the hospitality team, the worship team, uh, the production team, the kids ministry team. doesn't matter what their name is. All of them are disciple-making teams. Everybody say disciple-making. Every one of our teams is actually a disciple-making team. I'm going to rant for just a second here. Um, Sometimes I hear this illustration used and you think about discipleship this way. And discipleship is the process of learning to live like Jesus, okay? And sometimes we think of discipleship this way. There's one person and they make a disciple of one other person. So one person dumps all of their knowledge into this other person, and that person dumps all of their knowledge into this other person, and the chain continues, one person making a disciple of one person, making a disciple of one person. Let me tell you something. That's not actually how the Bible describes discipleship. The Bible doesn't say, you, go make one disciple by yourself of another person. The Bible says, y'all, yens, guys, All of you together get things done. All of you together make disciples of more people together. I'm not saying that you're not going to have any one-on-one components of discipleship. That's 100% true. I've done some of that even in the past few weeks. But I'm contributing to a larger whole. I'm bringing one thing to the table, often teaching, but somebody else is bringing something else to the table. Somebody else is bringing something else to the table. And so what you actually have in the biblical model of discipleship is not one person making disciple of another person making a disciple of another person. You have persons, a group of people, all bringing something to the discipleship of this group of people. That's what the church is. All of us together, all of our teams working together are disciple-making teams. This is why Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, when he says, look, when everything's working together, here's what happens. He says this, From him, referring to Jesus, the head, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual heart, our part. And earlier, what does he say in Ephesians chapter 4, 12 and onward? He talks about how when the whole body's working together, when everybody's living into their gifting, when everybody's contributing, what will happen is you'll see people grow into the fullness of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that's just another way to say everyday life like Jesus? When the body is working together, when each of us are playing our role, what happens is disciples are made. It's not I'm making 10 disciples, somebody else is making three, you're making four. It's we're all making disciples together. Every single team is contributing. We are a team of teams. We're a team of teams. And you probably know this. This isn't just limited to the church. Um, Anybody who's been in the military understands this. General Stanley McChrystal was the Joint Special Operations Command for the U.S. Army in Afghanistan from 03 to 08, And he was responsible for figuring out how do we accomplish different things that we're trying to do. And what he realized is he had to manage multiple teams from across multiple military branches to figure out how to accomplish the mission they were trying to do. In fact, he popularized the phrase team of teams. Take sports. Some of you are going to watch football later today. I think there's a game. I usually know when I start seeing jerseys walking in my church, I'm like, okay, I think there's a game today. Um, And I watched like five minutes of it last week so I could stay relevant. It was a good five minutes, that's all I have to say. And um, nonetheless, if you're watching football later today, the great thing about football is it's a team of teams. It's not just like basketball where you got five guys each playing their individual part. Football is a big, massive, complex sport. There's a lot going on. You have lots of coaches, lots of things happening. You have an offensive line, a defensive line. You have special teams as we found out were pretty significant last week. You have all these different teams that we're working together to accomplish one goal. It's not just about the defensive team winning the game. It's not just about the offensive line winning the game. It's not just about the special teams winning the game. You have all those teams working together on the same goal, trying to get it done and accomplish the mission. And Some of you know this from work. You're on one team, maybe the finance team, the operations team, the customer service team, but that's part of a team of teams that's accomplishing the mission of your company or your organization. And so in light of that, we're a church that uh, our team right here in Pittsburgh, specifically in Bellevue, that's inviting ordinary people to live everyday life like Jesus for the good of the neighborhood. And it's part of the larger mission of Jesus to make disciples of all nations, but our team is made up of lots of smaller teams. We're a team of teams. And I just want to walk you through, I just want to show you visually how many teams make up this church and how they contribute to the mission. So hang with me for a second, just look at some of these teams for a minute. Um, All of these different teams are helping us fulfill the mission in a given year. All of these teams are contributing. In fact, what we say is that if a team can't express, or when we're onboarding a leader, can't tell me how does your team fit in with the mission, we're like, look, we don't, we might not need your team. But if you can show us how does this help us fulfill the mission of Jesus in our time, we need this team. So we need the worship team, right? The worship team is helping us fulfill the mission by leading us in music that moves us toward everyday life like Jesus. We've said this a lot before. You are more likely to remember the chorus of a song than anything I said in the 35 to 40 minutes that I'm up here. 40 minutes, usually. Um, <laughs> that saying, you're going to remember maybe something I said, but you will remember the chorus of a song. So we want to make sure those choruses form us into Christ's likeness. Take the production team. If it wasn't for them back there, you wouldn't have sound and visuals and audio this morning. Uh, you wouldn't have anything that you're able to see and hear, and that would be limiting our ability to grow toward Jesus. You have the host team at the front door, somebody walking in for the first time. Um, They don't know if, maybe they're a Christian for a while and they're trying to figure out their next step or they're brand new to church and they're walking in and they want to meet somebody who can guide them toward their next steps in Jesus. Take the property team. We have this building that is over 100 years old. I was just talking with Ed about it right before, you know, something that's falling apart or something that's not working. But how many of you know if if it wasn't for that team We couldn't fulfill our mission well. They maintain this building so that it can be a disciple-making hub right here in Bellevue. So much of it's hidden and unnoticed. Or take the prayer team. If it wasn't for prayer, we know that we wouldn't have any success in what we do with the mission. Take the safety and security team. They're keeping this place safe and secure so that we can worship without worry, without having to think about and be distracted by other things, wondering how our kids are doing. Take the kids' ministry team. What are they doing? They're making disciples of your kids so that also you can focus and be here and learn and and sit in the presence of God. Take the care team. They walk alongside people in the middle of crisis and help them figure out what are their next steps toward Jesus even in the middle of crisis. Take the student ministry team. Just like the kids' ministry team, they create a fun environment where kids can learn to live like Jesus. Take the business team. They help us fulfill our mission by making sure all of our finances and legal stuff and HR stuff is in order so that we can keep doing the mission of God in our time. Take the Alpha team, which is brand new, but they're helping us fulfill our mission by creating space for unbelievers and people to experience Jesus for the first time. I could talk about the partnerships team, the design team, the foster care and adoption team, everyday men and women teams. All these teams are working together to fulfill the mission of Jesus right here. And this morning at 9:30, we had a team huddle where anybody that's volunteering today came together to be reminded of that because it's so easy when we're all in our small teams to forget that we're actually part of something bigger than ourselves we are all participating together and making disciples so at 9 30 we gather together we pray for the mission and we are reminded of the mission and God stirs our hearts up for it again and so Jesus entrusted his mission to a team from day one he divided it into teams of teams at the macro level, different churches at different places, the micro level, lots of little teams within the church that are all making disciples together. And this is where you step in. How do I step into the mission of God? One of the easiest ways is to join one of those teams. Jesus is inviting you. It's the last thing I want to say on this kind of big points here. Jesus is inviting you to find your team and to join his mission. Jesus is inviting you to find your team and to join his mission. There's lots of ways to get involved in God's mission, but one of the easiest places to start is by joining one of these teams if you aren't already serving one. Listen to what Peter writes to the church in one of his letters in 1 Peter 4, verse 10. He says this, Just as each one of you has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. I'm going to notice a few things about that. Notice he doesn't say, just as some of you have received a gift. He didn't say, just as some of you, the people who are particularly qualified have been Christians a while. He didn't say, just as some of you have received a gift. He says, just as each one, each one of you. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've received the Holy Spirit, which comes along with it, a gift. And that's what he says next, that what have we received? We've received a gift. Everybody say gift. That comes from the Greek word charisma. Whenever you use the word charisma, you're actually speaking Greek. And what that word means is spiritual gift. And we're talking about powers and abilities that God pours into our life when he gives us the Holy Spirit. When we believe in Jesus, uh, Peter says that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When God pours his Spirit into us, not just the gift of the Holy Spirit, but also come with that the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit as well. And those are listed out in places like 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. And again, these are abilities that God deposits in you. One way that I've heard it explained before is that you have things, gifts that you receive when you're born. Those are sometimes skills and propensities that you have naturally, and then you have skills and gifts that you receive when you're reborn. And that's what we're talking about with spiritual gifts. You have stuff you receive when you're born, and then you have stuff you receive when you're reborn. When you put your faith in Jesus, receive the gift of the Spirit, you receive new gifts. And he says that there's a purpose to these gifts. What does he say? Use it to serve. Use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. These gifts aren't just for you. They're for serving the mission of Jesus in our time. And so through his Holy Spirit, God's deposited stuff into you that's indispensable to the fulfillment of the mission in our time. And until we all start using it, we're actually limited in how effective we can be as a church. And so Jesus is inviting you to find your team and join his mission. And I want to give you just a few pieces of advice, a few pieces of advice that I've given to lots of people in different forums over the years that I would give to anybody looking for a team. The first thing is this, is don't let your gifts become a box. Don't let your gifts become a box. As Peter said in this passage, each of you has received a gift. You've received a gift from the Holy Spirit that's for the good of the church and for the good of God's mission. Um, It might be hospitality, generosity, administration, teaching, prophecy, shepherding, any number of gifts that are listed in those places I just mentioned. Just allow me for a minute. I want to explain how often our gifts can become a box. Rather than something that sets us loose, they become something that can strain us. There's a variety of ways that you can discover spiritual gifts. You can use something like a spiritual gifts assessment. There are some online. Um, Just run it by me before you try it. It might be something weird. Um, And then uh, we usually run one in our church, and they're really useful ways to discover spiritual gifts. Or you might have somebody who comes to you and says, like, uh, a leader who just sees you on a team, and they say, wow, I, I see this gift in you. Or maybe you're in a time of prayer um, at, at our church, or a time of worship, and somebody just prays over you that God would give you a gift of the Spirit, and just that gift starts to manifest itself in your life. But here's what can happen: this is the danger of spiritual gifts. Often, what spiritual gifts will become is they will become a box that limits the range of the kinds of teams you join. What will happen is we will start to look for a team that aligns with our gifting. We will say that I will only join teams that I think align perfectly with this spiritual gift that I have received. And so we think that we have to find the perfect, gift as we box, the perfect team as we box in this gift. Let me give you an example. So one of the gifts of the Spirit listed in the Bible is hospitality. And when we bring this mindset of boxing in, what can happen is we say, okay, I have the gift of hospitality. That means that the only team I can join is the host team. Because what the host team is doing is they're the hospitality team. They're making people feel welcome. So that's the only place that I can use the gift of hospitality. But I'm here to tell you that that is not how they work. Listen to me. Spiritual gifts are not meant to limit the range of teams that you join. What spiritual gifts are meant to be is they're meant to be an indicator of what you bring to whatever team you're on. They aren't meant to just limit the range of teams you join. They're meant to be an indicator of what you bring to whatever team you're on. Let me explain this, for example. Let's take hospitality. Let's say you have the gift of hospitality. How many, how many of you know that every team in our church needs some hospitality at times? To hospitality, if we put all the hospitality people on the host team, we will have a great front tour experience and then into an awful church um, because we need hospita- hospitable people on all of our teams. We need people who think about how is a new person experiencing this place on every team, the worship team, the production team, the host team. And by the way, we do need people on the host team. So it's not to say that, but we need people, hospitality people everywhere. My wife is a good example of this. She is an incredible servant of this church um, with that, who doesn't get a paycheck, right? And she just serves this church. She has the gift of hospitality. But what she's found is that's something she brings to every team that she's on. So she's helped the kids' team think, what does hospitality looks like? She redesigned this room over here so we could think, what is, how can we, exp- for an unbeliever's experience, she's helped us think about the front And what are the hosts doing? So that all of that, she's contributing her gift of hospitality. You're saying, okay, that works for hospitality, but what about prophecy? Let's say my gift is prophecy. Let's talk about that, um, if it is. And let's say, okay, that's another gift that's commonly listed. Let's say that's my gift. I have a prophetic gift. Let's talk for a second about what prophetic gifts are. What they do, if you have a prophetic gift... What you're doing is you're able to sense and name what God might be doing in the room and say, let's join him in that. We always want to leave room for that. to Say, what is God doing in the room? How can we join him in that? But if you have the prophetic gift, you might have the temptation to think, well, I need to join the prophecy team, which we don't have. You will not see that. <laughs> you will not see that on our, on our serve team form, which your QR code will take you to. Um, and we don't have a prophecy team in our church. But here's what I believe. We need the prophetic gifts on every team in our church. We need people on every team who have a sense of what is the spirit doing in the room so that we can join him in that. We need somebody on the team who can say, to the frustration of all the administrative people, who can say, hey, let's break from the plan for a second. I think God might be doing this in the room. Let's go for it. Let's see what he's doing. We need those kinds of people on all of our teams. And the same is true for administration and so many other gifts. The spiritual gifts aren't meant to be siloed into individual teams. They're meant to be scattered across all of our teams. So don't let your gifts become a, a blinders to all these other teams. The second thing is this, and they're going to get progressively shorter here, is be open to what needs are open. Be open to what needs are open. Often what we do with, with teams is we look in within ourselves, we say, okay, here's what I'm gifted in, here's what I can do, here are my skills, okay, what teams are open that I can do that? Oh, there isn't one open? Great, I'm not going to use it yet. What we need to do is actually look outside of ourselves first. Look at what teams are open, and then say, do, can I meet one of those needs? Can I do something about that? This is Jesus in John chapter 13. Jesus was an incredibly gifted individual, right? He was a gifted teacher. He was a gifted um, miracle worker. He was gifted as a prophetic. He had all these incredible gifts that he brought to the table. Um, and there's this moment where he's having dinner with his buddies in John chapter 13. And what does he see? He sees that there's nobody there to wash the feet. And Jesus could have said, Well, I've looked within myself. My gifts are prophecy, teaching. This doesn't fit. But what did he see? He saw an open spot that needed a volunteer, and he did something about it. So it says he got up, he took off his outer garment, he wrapped himself in a towel, and he bent down and he began to wash his disciples' feet. He was open to what needs were open. And I encourage you to do the same, to simply be available. Whenever I tell, talk about this, I think about Chris Steiner. Chris Steiner, years ago, he was our apprentice this summer, incredible leader, incredible servant of God. Um, And uh, when he first got started a couple years ago, he wasn't serving in any particular way. My dad was preaching at the time, and Chris came up to him at some point that week, and they met together, and it was really just, what do you need right now? And they talked about some different things, and it's like, I don't know if that's a good fit, but then he found one. That's a good fit. Let me join right in, right there. And so what I would encourage you to do is start with just saying what needs are open. And the last thing is this, is to pick and stick. Find a team and then stick with it for a season. Pick a team and stick with it for at least a year. When you sign up for a team, don't think of it as necessarily a lifetime commitment for the rest of your church experience forever, um, but give it at least a one-year trial run. And then after that, you can reevaluate, you can decide if it's a good fit for you. So just find a team and stick with it for a while. My exception to this rule would be if after three months, the leader comes up to you and says, it's not you, it's me, but we need, we're not sure if this is the team, you know, for you. Um, And if they do that, have that conversation, like Austin said, stick with it for a year, they will help you find another team that's probably a little bit of a better fit. But what I would say is stick with it for a year if you can, because one, it takes a while to learn something, Two, it just takes a while to see if this is the right fit for you. And then also it takes energy from our leaders to onboard you and get you into that role. And so this will help them conserve that energy as well. And so pick a team and stick with it for at least a year. And so Jesus is inviting you to find your team and to join his mission. And as you're looking for a team, what I would say is don't let your spiritual gifts box you in. Be open to what needs are open. Pick a team and stick with it for at least a year. When you came in, we gave you a card. Um, and it has a QR code on it. And what that'll do is take you to a list of our open teams right now. Um, and all of our teams are open right now. And so all of those needs are out there. Um, and some of you are on multiple teams, which is awesome. Some of you haven't joined a team yet. And that's OK. But we're inviting you today to join one of those teams. And what will happen is after you choose a team, that email will go to Emily, uh, who's our admin assistant. And she will forward that to our team leaders, who will then contact you and follow up with you about how to take your best next step onto a team. I just want to tell you about a few people that I've seen do this lately that you might not know about. Um, Bethany Stoner and Rachel Curiazis started helping out with our student ministry. Isaac had been praying for like a year that Sam Meyer would have some additional women to come alongside of her in the student ministry. And uh, they stepped up to help serve with that. Or take um, Justin Burke and Maggie Bauman and Zach and Courtney McClellan, who stepped up to help us with the Alpha Course. This is our first run and we're like, we need a brand new team. And they stepped up to help us with that. And McKenna Topf and Katie Snodzak stepped up this week to help us with food. Or take Luke Hoy, um, who's on the worship team often. He stepped up to join our worship team and to bring his gifts to that. So many people, and I'm like, you're like, what about me? You forgot to mention me. There's so many people I could mention, right? So many people who have stepped up, people I don't even know about who have stepped up to serve on teams and just found where can I contribute to what God is doing here. As we prepare to close, there's a quote that we say a lot around here in just our own paraphrase from Ellen Truebloody. And he wrote this in 1947 and it was as true then as it is now. He says, if you want to make a difference, here's a clear way. Make all within your society members of the crew and permit no passengers. We're all members of the crew here. We're all members of the crew. I get it. There are going to be seasons of your life where you're going to be in the, in the ship hospital and you're going to be in a season where I just need to recover I need people to work on me for a season. But most of the time, We are members of the crew. We're not just here to go on a cruise. We are here because we are part of what God is doing in the world. We're here because God has sent us on a mission. You are part of this crew. We had a crew huddle this morning at 930 reminding us that we are part of this crew. We are part of this crew. And So with that, we're closing out our series, Your Best Next Step, as we prepare for this fall. And we told you about the best next steps you can take this fall. And there's a card with each of these in the lobby on them. You can find, maybe it's time to find out more about Jesus and try the Alpha course. Maybe it's time to pursue the presence of Jesus more deeply and take the Habits course. Maybe you're learning to live like Jesus this season and you join a group. Or maybe it's time to join the mission of Jesus and you find your team. These aren't linear. So it doesn't matter. It's like you only do one than the other. It's just say, where is God leading you into deeper right now? So as we get ready to close, I want to come back to the question we invited you to ask throughout the series, which is what is the best next step that God is asking you to take? Maybe it's one, maybe it's all four in this season, maybe it's just to keep going with what you're doing, or to invite somebody to take a step with you. What I want to do is just invite the Spirit to speak to our hearts. Let's close our eyes for a second. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. You're present in this room. We know that even now you're still directing all these teams, Jesus. We know that you're the one in authority. You're the one who is still inviting. It's not me. It's not anybody else. It's inviting people to join your mission. It's not inviting someone to take next steps. Lord Jesus, it's you through us. So right now, come Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Don't let us shake off the ways that you might be inviting us to take a next step this fall. Lord, we look forward to those who are going to be taking that next step of the Alpha Course, that it would be good for their faith. And for some people, maybe they'll make a decision about who you are at the end. But I pray for those who are have been coming on Sundays and pursuing Your presence, but want to go deeper in their lives. I pray for that they might take that step to join that course that we offer in a few weeks. Pray for those who are looking for community and just looking to grow in their faith. This might be a season where they join a group, or people who are ready to get involved and contribute. That they might join Your mission. No matter what best next step You have for somebody, Lord, let us just take the next step, best next step that You're asking us to take right now. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to this podcast for a new teaching from us every single week.